Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. My co-host today, as always, is Jamal Ahmed, who is a fellow of information privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. He is an established and comprehensively qualified privacy professional with a demonstrable track record solving enterprise-wide data privacy and data security challenges for SMEs through complex global organizations. He is a revered global privacy thought leader, world-class trainer, and published author for publications such as Thomson Reuters, The Independent, Euronews, as well as numerous industry publications. He makes regular appearances in the media, on television, radio, and in print, and has been dubbed the king of GDPR by the BBC. I always feel like I'm doing that in one breath. Hi, Jamal. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Jamila. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really good. Really excited. You know, I've been making some positive changes to my lifestyle. I wake up super early every morning now and I take myself to the gym. And you know what? It's day four now. So I started on the Monday. Today's Thursday on the time of this recording. And I feel great, man. I was like, what did I wait all this time? I've got a great morning routine going and I'm really enjoying it. Good. I envy people who can get up that early and I don't enjoy it. I'm moody for the rest of the day, but I'm glad to see that you're not, Jamal. Oh, it's all the endorphins, you see. Let's introduce them. Our guest today is Greg Edwards, who is the CEO of CryptoStopper. CryptoStopper provides ransomware protection by automatically detecting and stopping actively running ransomware attacks. They are the world's first digital security product to offer 100% ransomware protection. He was the president of Axis Backup from 2007 to 2015 and the president of Iowa Electronics from 1998 to 2007. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me. Jamal, I'm glad to hear you're working out. I'm an early riser too and have been trying to work out as well. (laughs) Got to get those endorphins going. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for celebrating that with me. I think I'm still jealous that you wake up to a 60-acre farm, whereas I wake up to a concrete jungle. (laughs) Taking up gravel bike riding, which is getting out in the country in the Midwest and, and riding my bike out there. Nice. Uh, that sounds amazing. Is that something that you do together with some other people or is that something that you do uh, solitary? Both, both. So it's fun to do with other people, but mm-hmm. not everyone wants to get up at 4.30 a.m. and, and go do that. <laughs> so. Hang on. If you're, if you're getting up at 4.30 a.m., what time are you getting to bed? I go to bed early. All right. That's okay. So you're getting enough sleep. I was just a bit worried. Like, are you working too hard there, Greg? But I need my seven, eight hours of sleep. Me too. But I'm a late nighter. I'll be working into the small hours. I've always been a night owl. I used to be. I think the older I get, the earlier I get up in the morning and the earlier I go to bed at night. Yeah. (laughs) My mom told me she was a night owl till she had kids because we woke up so early. She did too. For sure. As always, we start off with an icebreaker question. If you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone, which ones would you Oh, (laughs) wow. That is a tough one. So I'd have to say, I mean, definitely email. 
I'd have to keep email, text messaging, and probably my weather app. Interesting. I'm a private pilot. I'm always checking the weather on my phone. Whereabouts do you fly to? I mean, around the US. The plane that I have will go about 700 miles in one go. Can get from where I am in the Midwest all the way to the East Coast. Not to the West Coast, but to the East Coast if the winds are right. Could you fly to New York City? Yeah. Yep. I haven't ever done that before. And the the airports on the East Coast and the air traffic is very congested out there. Yes. Yes. Do you have to kind of let an authority know that you're going to be taking your plane Uh, out on a particular day? Depending on where you're going, but most of the time not. And in the US, there are thousands of these small airports that you can land in. So you think of the massive airports, Mm -hmm. that's not where, where a lot of the places where I land, there's one runway and no one there. <laughs> so, right. so yeah. yeah, so you don't have to let anyone know when you go. There is air traffic control if you're flying mm. in weather. You know, if you're flying in the clouds, then you need to let people know. But oh, wow. otherwise, not at all. That's even interesting. I like to sit and look at my flight radar app and just look at all the planes yeah. going across. So maybe I'll see yours when I'm looking at the US. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. just at a massive air show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. There are over 600,000 people that go to this. Wow. Oh, and this is, they opened up this year, obviously didn't have it last year, but had it this year as the uh, virus we thought was going away, but now maybe coming back. Unfortunately, unfortunately. but maybe then airspace will be a little bit more travel restrictions. Maybe you'll have a bit of clear skies, clear airspace for you to fly about in. All right. Are are we here to talk about privacy or something? Let's talk about privacy. I'm excited. This is our first pilot on the podcast. Amazing. Good. Glad to break that ice. We should have changed your title, Captain Greg Edwards. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Camilla, what yes. three apps would you keep? Well, I probably use WhatsApp the most. I've tried going over to Signal, but there's only about three people that I could use Signal. Yeah, I use Signal, so we can yeah. we can talk to each other on that. I only used it because Jamal told me to, so I downloaded it for that. Probably Twitter because it's entertaining. And maybe Reddit. They're all social media apps, so that's quite bad. Emails yeah. is fine because everyone can leave me alone then. What can email me? <laughs> what about you, Jamal? I'd distract the whole thing away. I don't need any app. I would love that. Wouldn't that be great? It would. It would. It would be awesome. I think I'd get uh, withdrawal symptoms. I used to actually go on vacation in locations that I knew did not have internet connectivity. Oh, wow. And you almost can't do that anymore. But I've been on some vacations into the Arctic Circle and used to be that you could go to the Caribbean Mm -hmm. and not get internet connectivity, but that's pretty ubiquitous anymore. The only place I'm thinking of where I didn't have internet connectivity was last week on the underground in London. There you go. You don't want a vacation there, there, though. Go on holiday into the (laughs) They're they're bringing internet connectivity to the London underground. I don't know why, but they are. People want to be able to check Twitter. People want to be able to check their emails because they're late for work, because the underground (laughs) system broke down again. And that's probably why. That's more accurate. Right, Right, let's get down to some questions. Could you tell us a little bit more about CryptoStopper and how it works? Before we learn about CryptoStopper, why don't you explain what ransomware is and how CryptoStopper is the solution? Right. Everyone's probably heard of ransomware, at least by now. Fundamentally, what ransomware is, is it's an encryption system that will lock the files once it starts running on a PC or on a network, it'll encrypt all the files and lock them and then hold them for ransom with a encryption key that you have to pay for to get back. It's actually a very simple system. We have written our own ransomware. 
and to attack a network and be able to go out and discover everything on a network and then start encrypting it, 93 lines of code. Not a lot. Wow. Not a lot. Yeah, it's, it is. And if you think about applications like WinZip or 7-Zip, it uses that exact kind of technology to mm -hmm. encrypt the files when we used to have to do that to email stuff. It will encrypt those files and they've taken that technology and weaponized it. So just put it into perspective, if it only takes 93 lines of code, how much code does, for example, running Facebook? I mean, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions. <laughs> there we go. That kind of shows the kind of scale of it. So ransomware, like a virus then? Yeah, yeah. So ransomware is now the way that it gets into a system is through malware. So at its core, ransomware is malware. And if you think about prior to the introduction of cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. then when we would get a malware infection, it typically, and you, you guys probably remember this, your computer would get slow and reload it and everything's back to normal. Well, now when those kind of malware get in, the primary thing that they do is ransomware. So those have always slipped through. I and mean, I've been in technology since 1994 and malware has been around since the end of the 90s. And even with the best antivirus and endpoint protection, there's some malware that always got through. Well, now that malware is ransomware. You said it's been around since the end of the 90s. I remember Y2K vaguely and things like that. Was that worrying about <laughs> ransomware and malware? Is that started? I mean, ransomware has been around. I think the earliest versions of ransomware actually came out on floppy disks. If either of you even remember the floppy disks. I do. I have uh, one back of my phone. I, I, I remember them, yes. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> But really, it took the advent of cryptocurrency to be able to get ransomware, unfortunately, to where it is now, because these ransomware attackers can get paid completely anonymously mm -hmm. anywhere in the world, and it's untraceable. It used to be that they have to do you know, some kind of credit card fraud or have some sort of way that they were using the banking system. Well, now with cryptocurrency, they've mm -hmm. got a whole new way mm -hmm. to get paid. So it's more about how they're getting paid rather other than the cryptocurrency itself causing malware around. Correct. I'm actually a fan of the cryptocurrency, but not a fan of how it's being used by criminals. Imagine this, Jamila. Imagine you had a car, right? Imagine you're driving. Leave your car parked up or use your car every day for whatever purposes. And then one morning you come to your car and you find that someone's clamped it and you can't actually get into your car, not just from you driving, but you can't even get into your car anymore. That's what they're doing. They're stopping you from enjoying something that you should already be enjoying, right? You're, they're stopping you from getting into your system, into your access. And the only way to get this clamp off the car is to pay the guy who's done it. If you pay the guy who's done it, when he comes to meet you, you've got a couple of options. You can ask the police to wait and meet him. And, yeah. Or you can describe him to the police afterwards so they can trace him down and say, hey, why are you illegally clamping her car? Now, if he says, hey, here's the clamps on your car, we can have it removed. All you need is the code to have it removed. And I'll send you the code. All you have to do is send me some Bitcoin. Now, you don't even know who that person is, whether it's a he or a she or a they. They could be anywhere in the world. And because it's got that level of anonymity, because Bitcoin, any kind of cryptocurrency, you don't necessarily need to know the identity of the person receiving it. It means that he can clamp every single car on your street and no one will still know who that person is. So that means they can stay safe from law enforcement, I guess. Cryptocurrency just makes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand. People are saying it can be mined, but it takes so much power to be mined. I'm like, well, where do you find it? Is it like an internet treasure hunt? I don't know. <laughs> do you mean like just buy some Bitcoin? 
leave it somewhere, forget about it, and I'll tell you when to sell it again. There you go. Come back in five years. I'm thinking, am I going to go on a random <laughs> website and then it'll pop up saying, oh, you found some Bitcoin? Is that how it works? <laughs> it's all about solving an algorithmic problem is really what it comes down to. So it's just solving for these calculations. That's how Bitcoins are mined and, and all the cryptocurrency are mined. So tell us more about how CryptoStopper helps with ransomware attacks. And you offer 100% ransomware protection. I know a lot of privacy professionals who would be really interested in learning more about it and how it can really help them with their clients and their businesses that they're working right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about how that works? What our system does it at the core, it's a file integrity monitoring solution. So it's watching the files on a system. We only sell to businesses, it's not a consumer product. So once a business installs CryptoStopper on their servers and on their laptops and desktops, then it's watching those files and watching for that encryption activity and halting it. So it doesn't matter what variant of ransomware it is that's running. As soon as it starts encrypting files, then we identify and kill that infection. We add to that, not only watching the existing files, but we add bait files, which is a subsection of cybersecurity called deception technology. So yeah. we add these bait files throughout the network to enhance and speed up our time to detection. And our time to detection is in milliseconds. So this is really where my experience came from and the engineers that work with me. When we owned the offsite backup and disaster recovery company, we became experts in recovering from ransomware attacks because starting in 2012, ransomware was the most common reason to have to do a recovery and still is today. So again, you think about those files getting locked up. The other option is to restore from backup and bring the files back. Now, a lot of times they're also sabotaging the backups, and so that's not an option. But when you think about how our system works, it's watching for that encryption activity and then taking action against it. And that's how we detect and stop ransomware so quickly. Your software can tell the difference between ransomware encrypting a file and then me trying to encrypt a file for my own privacy. Absolutely. And the big difference between that, we have a whitelisting system so that we can go in and whitelist specific applications like a, yeah. a WinZip. But from a privacy standpoint, that's typically done at the disk level. And so it's transparent to the user, mm -hmm. which is important, and that our system doesn't stop that. What other things about CryptoStopper is different from other ransomware providers? The big difference is that deception technology intermingling not only our bait files and those native files, but then watching those bait files so that no matter what the encryption is that's running, that we're going to detect it and kill it. I think that's really helped playing a lot about ransomware. It's definitely made things more clearer in my mind. Well, Jamal's explanation of car getting clamped, that's a great analogy of how it really works. And then to pay that attacker completely anonymously, how, how do you know if you're going to get the encryption key back. That was one common thing that would happen years ago that about 50% of the time people would pay and they wouldn't get their encryption key back. The attackers realized that they needed to be better businessmen or people wouldn't pay at all. They provide better customer service 
in that they do provide those encryption keys most all of the time. now. You mentioned that this is ideal for businesses. What kind of businesses is this really ideal for? The type of business doesn't necessarily matter, but it's, I mean, anything in healthcare, professional services, finance, manufacturing, we do specialize in working with managed service providers. It's all business to business, but all through resellers. Great. When we're talking about managed service providers, how did you feel when you saw the news about Kaseya attack? Uh, you know, that was ugly. I mean, I hate to see any ransomware attack that hits on a massive scale like that, or really any ransomware attacks, but that really is just where these attackers are escalating to. Really, and it may come out that that was a state-sponsored attack. That kind of attack where they're using the supply chain, so infecting the software provider and then infecting clients through Mm -hmm. that provider, that's a very high-level kind of attack, really a pretty scary escalation of where it's going, especially if that was not a state-sponsored attacker. So meaning, you know, if it wasn't North Korea, Russia, or China, the actual government doing it, and now the attackers themselves have that level of sophistication and that complex of tools to be able to pull something like that off is very scary. It is very frightening. I once wrote an article saying that the next world war is going to be a data-driven war. And examples of the state-sponsored attack, and especially hearing you talking about it, it makes it seem more and more actually like it was a lot more is really accurate and that's exactly what's going to happen. Why are we seeing so many state-sponsored attacks? Part of it, the state-sponsored attacks, I mean, so North Korea is really the only state-sponsored ransomware purveyor, I would say. So the Russian government traditionally hasn't been involved in ransomware other than a few incidents, but they haven't, from a profit motive, been involved in ransomware. Now, there are lots of Russian attackers and cyber criminals because it's not In Russia, it is not against the law to be a ransomware attacker. I mean, as long as they're not attacking anyone in Russia, then it is absolutely not against the law. And so do you say, is that a state-sponsored attacker then? Well, I mean, it depends. I do think that we're going to find out in the next several months if the U.S. and U.S. allies will force any kind of sanctions against Russia to try to get them to clamp down. But the most recent most recent U.N. resolution or exactly what Vladimir Putin proposed to the U.N., but really he basically said, nope, we're not going to do anything. Interesting. We'll see how that plays out, what the consequences of that are. Earlier, you were telling me about the Accenture ransomware. What can you tell us about that? That's really the exfiltration of data, and I assume also a encryption of data. But what ransomware has pivoted to is not only what we talked about where it's clamping down the files on the local network, but then also exfiltrating that data. And so yesterday it came out that it was discovered that on the dark web, there's a trove of Accenture files that are being held for ransom, but wouldn't surprise me if it's not in the, probably in the 10 to 20 million range would be my guess for a company like Accenture. And do these companies tend to pay those ransoms? So unfortunately, a lot of them do. So you guys are probably familiar with the Colonial Pipeline 
attack that happened here in the US. That attack shut down 45% of the oil and gas flow to the East Coast of the US and paid a $5 million ransom to try to speed the recovery. I mean, the CEO of Colonial said, okay, this is critical infrastructure that we have to get turned back on. And so they paid the ransom. And about the reports that I've seen, 45 to 50% of companies hit by ransomware attack do end up paying, which is seems incredibly high. So many companies, I mean, you think about the disaster recovery in that, oh, well, everyone has backup, right? Well, not everyone tests those backups. And to see you know, how long does it take to actually recover from backup sometimes is much longer than just paying the ransom and getting access to the files back immediately. So I guess they feel like they have no other option than to pay the ransom if they want to get things back up and running. And the fact that not only will the attackers try to sabotage the backups and then are now exfiltrating that data and then ransoming and, and saying that they'll release that data if they don't pay, that adds to the complexity of whether or not to pay. We talked about quite a few examples of ransomware attacks. Do you think that these kind of attacks are increasing and why are services like CryptoStopper becoming more and more important? So when I first started CryptoStopper, a mentor that I've had for a long time said, what is ransomware? Does anyone know what ransomware is and does anyone really need it? And I said, well, the attackers are going to educate people. I saw this coming from way back in 2012 and saw this escalation coming. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is increasing. I've seen reports for 2021 anywhere from 140 to 700% increase wow. in number of ransomware attacks is that basically happens every single year. And there's no barrier to entry for these attackers in countries, especially like Russia, where there's no punitive penalty for attacking others, as long as they're not in Russia, there's no penalty at all. And so if you think about any people coming up in technology, if you can make millions of dollars and it's not illegal, why would they not do it? That's why we need the help of governments to make sure that they are penalizing those people. If they're actively encouraging them by saying, hey, if you're in Russia, then you can go after any country, any company in the world, just make sure it's not in Russia and do whatever you want to do. Then it's kind of like saying, hey, come over here and you guys really focus on becoming really good at attacking other people's organizations and holding them to ransom for this. Exactly. And I've said for a long time that I think that these attackers really have been working on perfecting their craft and that in about 2024, uh, I mean, we're coming on and maybe we're at the peak of it now. I assume that it would take 10 years or so for these attackers to really perfect their craft. And that's really what it is. So if you look back, the rise of ransomware starting in around 2012, 2014, and now they really perfected their craft. And so it's not surprising to me at all. And it's actually very frustrating to me. I've been screaming this for, I don't know, seven years now that this was going to be a problem. It's unfortunately come even more true than I expected. What is the current US government attitude to ransomware? There are very few ransomware attackers that are based in the US because the penalties are very high. We have the FBI that primarily investigates these kind of crimes. And one of the problems is, is that they're so overwhelmed, but then they can't, when they do actually track it back to 
an individual or an organization. It's a lot more organized crime than just individuals. Even when they do track it back, they can't do anything about it. So I've talked to several FBI agents that are just so frustrated by the fact that, yeah, they can track them down, but then they can't do anything about it. Yeah. What first sparked your interest in data security? Probably the very first incident when I started my career. So in 1998, I started Iowa Electronics, um, which is now Watchpoint IT. But when I first started, I think it was in 2000 or 2001, there was this virus called the I love you bug. And I don't know if either of you remember that, but it was an encryption. What it did is encrypted files. There wasn't ransomware attached to it. It was just doing damage. But that incident, that was really the first virus incident that I dealt with as a professional and saw that what the potential was and what was going to happen and that companies needed to take that data privacy very seriously because it's so important. I mean, it's all of our information. It's all of the 7.6 billion humans that are out here. It's all of our information that's at risk. What compelled you to say, I'm going to be the one to solve this, or I'm going to uh, organizations protect people's personal information? Starting with the offsite backup and disaster recovery company, that seeing the devastation that ransomware caused to companies, because even when with our system, we were doing cloud backup before cloud existed. So starting in 2007, the cloud wasn't even the cloud, but we were doing offsite cloud backup and full-on recoveries. Well, you can imagine in 2007 when a company, whether they have a hardware failure, because this is pre-ransomware, but a hardware failure and seeing how devastating that was, even when you had good backup and good recovery, we could bring them back up in two hours, but you're taking the whole company and saying, okay, now you've got to work from the cloud. They had no idea what that was. Yeah. And then fast forward to 2015, when we were seeing the most ransomware attacks and doing the most recoveries with access backup, seeing how badly companies were being hit by ransomware and how costly that was, that really is what drove me to create CryptoStopper. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that story with us. It's quite inspiring. You were just getting on with your work one day and then you discovered that your company had been attacked. And immediately you was like, hang on a minute. If this is what they can do now, imagine the consequences of this and how devastating this could be as things progress and as we become more and more reliant on technology. And now we see that you've gone to a stage where you actually said, you know what, I'm going to actually step up and I'm going to provide a solution. Not just any solution. I'm going to provide 100% protection against ransomware using all of these clever technologies and the embedding of the bait files and the other technology you spoke to us about and you put together crypto stopper. Yep, yep, exactly. I mean, it was really that 20 years of experience of being in the trenches of seeing what was happening to companies on the reactive side to say, okay, we've got to stop this so that it's not as devastating. And really what we do is damage reduction and basically stopping the bleeding. With CryptoStopper, the attack has gotten in and it's actively running. And that's something that I knew was always going to happen, that these attacks, just like malware, something is always going to slip through. And it only takes one. I mean, if you have 10,000 or 
or 10 people in your company, it only takes one person to slip up to let that attack in. Exactly. And I always say to my clients, it's not a matter of if, it's when. It's going to happen. It's just when it happens. And when it does happen, you want to make sure that you put yourself in the best position to mitigate, you know, really decrease the chances of any damage. And yep. if we can make ourselves resilient, or if you're listening and you're previously professional and you want to help make your organizations and your clients resilient, this is really the way forward. Yeah. Obviously, coming from an offsite backup and disaster recovery standpoint, I mean, you have to have backup, but you don't want to have to go to that backup. I mean, you can imagine, again, use the car analogy that you do. I mean, being locked out of your car is bad. Imagine a 10,000 employee company being completely locked out of their computer system. I mean, shuts companies down. We had an incident like that here in the UK not too far ago. They shut down the National Health Service. Yeah, affected yeah. the whole population. There yeah. was people waiting uh, to have their operations done. There was people waiting for urgent medical procedures. And the NHS, the National Health Service, nobody could access their files. Nobody could access that information. Right. And you think about it, almost every business today, if you take away their computer system, you've shut them down. Pretty much. And yes. that's what these attackers know. I mean, everything from healthcare to manufacturing to lawn care service, that's local uh, here in my area that they've said, yeah, if you shut down our computer system, we can't do anything because we don't know where to send our staff. Mm. You know, So you think about that from a lawn care service that is out of business if their computer system is down. We spoke a little bit about what the current climate around ransomware is like. You said you saw kind of a record number of attacks in 2015, but what do you think the security data privacy industry will look like over the next five years? Certainly an increase in attacks. And then I, I do think that companies are finally taking privacy and data security seriously, or at least starting to. <laughs> I think that GDPR and some of the, the California Consumer Protection Act, I mean, I think some of those things are also helping. I think we need a combination of both CEOs, boards of directors, educating themselves, understanding the risks, and then it's also some government involvement to put regulation around what needs to be done. Absolutely. I see that over the next five years, it's going to continue to get worse. The protections are going to get better and better. What we really have to do is make that barrier to entry from the punitive side, governments taking it seriously and penalizing these people, plus regulations, plus companies taking it seriously. I mean, it's not one thing that's going to solve this. It's multi-front attack. Definitely a combination um, of things that are going to help us to see a reduction in this. I don't think we'll ever see an end to it, but we have to see a reduction. The good news for privacy pros is because of all of these attacks, because we are actually understanding how devastating it can be when unauthorized uh, people get access or lock you out of your files and lock businesses out. It means that there is going to be a huge demand or an increased demand for data privacy and data security professionals. And that's where we can really help uh, with the Privacy Pros Academy. So if someone's looking to pivot their career or if someone's thinking about making a career change, why should they consider data privacy, Greg? For lots of reasons. I mean, number one would be because you're going to really help companies and help society at large, but then it's also a great profession. And like you say, there's such a need for it that those jobs are in high demand. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen people come into the industry where previously they've been stuck in a career, stuck in like almost like a glass ceiling, like they can't get past a certain stage, but they've come into privacy and within a very short time, they've gone from 
50, 60 grand to six figures without even thinking twice about it. And they still know there's so much more out there waiting for them. And the other fascinating thing is, put the money to one side, is it's constantly changing. You mentioned earlier the GDPR and how much of an impact that's had and how that's actually influencing organizations all over the world. And you speak about governments stepping in to bring in regulation. And we can see that in 2021, only 10% of the globe has privacy legislation. But we can see that by 2023, we can see it's tabled for about 50% of the globe to start introducing privacy legislation. And I'm speaking to one or two governments right now and consulting them on how to go about doing that for their own organization, for their own um, countries. And we can see that everywhere around the globe, the GDPR has inspired everyone to raise the level of protection. Because the GDPR is the most comprehensive set of data privacy laws we find in the world, we find that multinational organizations, other countries and organizations in other countries around the world, they want to make sure they get to a level of compliance with the most comprehensive, because if they get that right, it makes everything else very easy. And they can now start doing trade with the 500 million residents in the European Union and start really making the most of those opportunities available to them. I completely agree. All right. Jamal, what do you see as the number one thing that companies can do to protect the privacy of their data? There's there's a number of things. I don't know what the number one one thing is awareness. Awareness that data privacy is a thing. People's personal information needs to be protected. I think that is the number one thing is raising that awareness and making sure people are always thinking privacy first. I mean, the law and all of the things, we talk about privacy by default, we talk about privacy by design, but unless there is an awareness of privacy and an awareness of the risk associated to it, it doesn't mean anything because nobody's thinking about it. So for me, the number one thing is awareness. To add to that, it's got to come from the top down. It's got to be the board of directors and the CEO that take it seriously and implement the controls that are needed. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more on that one, Greg. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Fly over and visit sometime. Uh, yeah, I would love to. I don't know that my plane or myself are quite ready to make that <laughs> transatlantic flight yet, but I would uh, would love to come over commercially. <laughs> yes, definitely. Bring uh, some of that nice yeah. sunny weather with you. And, uh, and hopefully we can get through the current pandemic and we can all yes. travel again without any worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm really Thanks. looking forward to your, your visit, Greg. Awesome. I will definitely contact you guys and have you show me around. Definitely. Thank you 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 very much. much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.